Dear writers, get animated. I'll always be that kid in front of the TV, Saturday mornings watching cartoons. Now I'm still not famous and doing the same thing. I love you, Saturday morning cartoons. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and Kobe Bryant. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Slava. <laughs> Today, we are uh, talking about the five Oscar-nominated animated short films for the 90th Academy Awards. It's a long title, but we got there. Yes, and it's, it's our third time reviewing, which not like good, bad, but like going through and <laughs> examining, that's probably the closer word to it, examining the nominees for short subject animated films things. And I think our track record is one incorrect pick for winner and one correct pick for winner, if I recall. That's correct. We incorrectly chose Sanjay's Super Team and Bear Story won. And then last That's year... That's called. Yes. And then last year, we correctly chose Piper for the win. Pixar's Piper. So, this year, um, should we just say who the nominees are and then we will discuss them? Yes. So we have um, Dear Basketball, the animated version of Kobe Bryant's retirement letter. Dear Basketball. Uh, Lou, the Disney Pixar short released with Cars 3. Which everyone's seen. Actually, I had not, because I have never seen a Cars movie. I'm sorry, that was sarcastic. That wasn't sarcastic enough. Which everyone's seen. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Um, We also have Revolting Rhymes, which came out on the BBC as like a little children's special thing um and two independent animated films negative space and garden party and we are um probably not the only critical review of all films at once um but certainly probably the only podcast about all the oscar nominated animated short films (laughs) keeping that tradition alive spread the word tag at the academy or whatever their handle is on twitter and let them know that we are people we, we care we care we deserve screeners sometimes too much so we'll go with that. Uh, because we can't see all the best picture nominees and because we can't talk about all the best picture nominees before we get to Oscar time in between the nominations and the actual Oscars. We're doing this. So yes. What were the, what were the nominees for features for best animated feature? You can see the boss baby Not gonna and win. Coco going to win both of which we've talked about before. And you can listen to our episodes about them. We'll link to them in our show notes. Um, and also uh, loving Vincent, which we did not talk about and I have seen and is not interesting at all from a story standpoint, (laughs) but But really looks pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Ferdinand question mark. And, uh, what's the other? Oh, the breadwinner, which, uh, I really, really want to see. I'm a fan of the studio's previous films. Um, 
and is a great independent animated feature and would be great if it wins and i haven't seen it but coco is a year where pixar totally deserves the oscar win not just because of pixar yes <laughs> which is good so probably coco go see coco listen to her episode about coco and then just ad- admire all the other and all the other nominees admire breadwinner and uh boss baby on netflix if you're feeling adventurous admire parts of boss baby on netflix Sections of Boss Baby. <laughs> Ta-da! Anyway, let's let's talk through this. So, where should we start? Should we should we go in a? There's the Shorts TV that does the annual showings of all the short films, the live action, the documentary short films, the animated short films. Um, should we talk about the order that they aired them in? Let's go for it. Because I feel like they put them in a pretty good order to talk about. You know, I, I think the way the way that they progress um, doesn't feel like it's in from best to not as best. <laughs> but I, I feel like uh, it, it goes in an interesting progression. So, and... Should we should we start with um, Dear Basketball? Let's do Dear Basketball, which um, is an all-star lineup, pardon the pun. <laughs> it is written by and produced by Kobe Bryant. Of uh, wait, wait. Is this Kobe Bryant of Kobe Studios, Kobe Bryant? Kobe Studios? What? Yes, oh. there's apparently now a Kobe Studios. But Kobe Bryant, if you're not a host of Radius Get Animated, more of L.A. Lakers basketball fame. <laughs> and in 2015, he penned a letter to a publication that I forget and announced his retirement from basketball in a love letter slash love poem to basketball. And then he talked to Glenn Keane of Disney fame and John Williams of Star Wars slash Harry Potter fame into animating and composing it respectively. So Glenn Keane directed and animated along with a team of other animators, Dear Basketball. You gave a six-year-old boy his Laker dream. And we both know, no matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks, garbage can in the corner, five seconds on the clock, ball in my hands. Five, four, three, two, one. And it did win the Annie Award. It did win the Annie Award for Best Short Subject. Which is, I'm not saying that's going to decide it, because we're not going to discuss that till the very end as to our um, picks for who's going to win. But that's, I feel like that's a nod. That's a telling thing of where people's thoughts are. But I think the opposite telling thing <clears throat> is that because this short has gotten so much attention, it's kind of brought back into the public eye mid-2000s sexual assault allegations against Kobe Bryant, which... The court case was settled. It was not decided either way. 
but in a year of the Me Too movement and um, Time's up. Nom- nominating uh, what's-his-face, Christopher Plummer for Best Actor mm-hmm. instead of Kevin Spacey, <laughs> who got edited out of a movie because he was accused of sexual assault. Um, that might be a nod against Dear Basketball as well. Who knows? Not us. Not, not, not us. us. We're not in the Academy. Hint, hint, Academy. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. So um, let's talk a little bit about, so we know what it is. It's Kobe Bryant's letter talking to the sport of basketball as if he were speaking to a lover and how he will always love basketball how he's loved basketball since he was six um and rolled up his socks and shooting baskets with his rolled up socks but now he just can't go on like physically he can't continue moving forward and he has to say goodbye to the the great love of his life and it is a love and it is his life (laughs) Well played. <laughs> uh, Glenn Keane captures this perfectly. Um, and in fact, they, when talking about the making of this short, um, Glenn Keane talked about watching Lakers YouTube videos with Kobe Bryant and talking about like what he did as a kid and how he did it. And they would like rearrange fake versions of his childhood room to like show where things were. Because hmm. um, he wanted to capture that no matter who you are in life, there's always that little kid inside you. And I think that's what this short does magnificently. It captures the parallels between young Kobe, um, old Kobe, and then just the act of playing basketball itself along with both those characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. go ahead. No, I'm go ahead. I was going to say is Glenn Keane has always been very good. He's always been a very good actor. Um, when you have Kobe lying on his bed as a kid, you can't help but see a little bit of the little mermaid in Kobe's face in terms of the expression and the longing and the hopefulness. And you get a little bit of like, you feel, definitely feel like Disney Renaissance animation happening right there. Like that's what you feel. Um, And you feel that very, it feels like a throwback in that way, but it feels very familiar and feels very good. So you get the traditional hand drawn, but unfinished. So it's not, it doesn't feel, it's not fully in color all the time. It uses color sporadically and very effectively but it's mostly pencil drawings you know it mostly feels like the drawings that haven't been cleaned up and then just animated and and just put on there um which is a nice stylistic choice but it reminds you hey this is pencil this is raw (laughs) this isn't clean and polished and i think if it was overly produced it may have lost something in that Mm -hmm. the fact that it's 
hand-drawn, and I won't say crudely because it's not crude. I, I just mean this unfinished, sketchy kind of feeling um, makes it makes the emotion just a little more authentic than I think if it had been finished and you saw the basketball court and you saw the bedroom and it was a painted background. And I think it would have felt saccharine and inauthentic at that point. But I think the style helps it feel authentic, even though there's also a budgetary reason for that. <laughs> um, also, you know, getting enough workers to do it. I, th I think the fact that it was, here's the, here are the resources we have, but let's make it work stylistically. You can tell that it's a choice. And, and I think it's a strong choice. Completely agree. And if this one wins, I think it would be on the merit of the visual acting, not so much the story, but you see the artistry. It's right there in front of you. You see the pencil strokes. You can tell this is art. Mm -hmm. And it does that very well. I think I was basically going to re-say what you just said. So, yes, I agree. <laughs> um, the one thing about it for me, though, is I think, like, the music is overwrought. I, I feel like the music is too much for mm. for what it is i disagree a little bit because i think it's the music to me feels like the ending theme of a movie hmm. and i think that's fine for a retirement letter it's the ending theme of his basketball career hmm. so it worked for me hmm. i mean i'm not putting in down john williams's composition by any means it's just because everything else was so minimal well maybe they needed the music to be something more because everything was so minimal i guess because the i mean the reading of the letter wasn't <laughs> where the emotional heart is in terms of, quote, acting. So you, I think, okay, yeah, you need the music to buffer it. Yes, I got Chris to talk himself into it. No, oh, I hate I hate when you do that. It happens. Points. It happens much too often. <laughs> My point of view is validated. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. Anyway. <laughs> so what what else about the storytelling of this? We well, any? Glenn Glenn shared something that one of his mentors from the Disney Nine Old Men, Ollie Johnston, told him that I think really shows in this piece when we're talking about the visual acting. And so Ollie Johnston advised Glenn Keane, who then put into Deer Basketball, uh, don't animate what a character is doing, animate what they're thinking. And that's what we see. We see what young Kobe is thinking. Young Kobe is the main character of this. Mm -hmm. 
I, th- I think the most striking moment of it comes at where they show the physical pain and then go back to the child. Like the, it, it goes all in color and it goes to, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like it's 3D animation at that point where we see the skeleton and everything inside where it just takes you out of it. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's completely different style in a really strong way. It's striking mm-hmm. in that moment. And you realize, oh, it's not sweet anymore in the same way. Like, this is, this is actually bad. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I, I agree. I think it's a strong move. And seeing the animated version of this letter with that in it versus just reading the letter, I think it comes off much more strongly, like, how deterring the physical pain is. Mm-hmm. And what a reason that is. As opposed to the letter, it's like, I love basketball. And I have this pain, so I'm retiring. But I love basketball. Right. So you feel the the physical pain and what's going on makes the reason, but it doesn't lessen the emotional pain of having to, to walk away. Exactly. So. Cool. Awesome. Uh, the next one. Negative space. My dad taught me how to pack. Lay out everything. I love this one. You love this one. Tell us a little bit about it. And then... Negative space. um, It is based on a poem that the creators found through Facebook, believe it or not. (laughs) Uh, And so this is a stop motion animated piece about uh, a young man who is packing for a trip of some kind. Um, And he's remembering how his father taught him how to pack. And his fond memories of his father, them growing up and their relationship through packing suitcases. And ultimately, he gets to uh, the place that he's going, and it turns out it's his father's funeral. So it's a a verbal twist, and there's some packing visuals. There's some really original stuff done with, like, it's very dreamlike, but all the dreamlike things are done with the visuals of what you would put in a suitcase. Pants, shirts, underwear, toiletries, um... I think particularly underwear jellyfish in an underwater scene work really well for me. Mm-hmm. It, it does do transformation really, really well. And it helps that the, the stop motion kind of style, the, the tactile feeling of these things, um, it, the, that helps it along to tell its story and ground it. I think if it were animated, it would it wouldn't be as grounded as it is. I did appreciate the very first transformation where he begins driving and suddenly we're in a different world made of clothes. And that first transformation on a zipper, on a giant zipper where it just unzips that way, it just helps us see that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, 
for me, I don't, I don't think the story was telegraphed. I don't think they telegraphed where it was going, but I was like, there's only a couple reasons where a character would tell something insignificantly small about their father which would be because they're saying goodbye and they're examining the relationship that they had with their father. I was like, so if he's an adult and he's packing, he's going back home because of something. And that something is because of like, I think it, it, I reasoned it out in a couple moments. (laughs) I was like, it's, it's a funeral. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Um, But that being said, knowing where we were heading doesn't take away from, the interesting way that the story is told and the the way that it's done in terms of no dialogue in between it's just this voiceover talking about how his father taught him how to pack and then they go through and show us what everything looked like and the clothes are animated crawling into the suitcase as if the clothes have their own life um, especially the belt around it like a snake. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> so that, w- that was really interesting. Um, but then how the father never asked the mother to help because she never got the hang of it. But the son was able to do it because he was able to understand his father in that same way. And to know that when the father would get to his next place, um, he would get a one-word text message back which was perfect. And that was it. That was like the father saying everything in a single word, but not even in a phone call. Like, Hey, I got here safely, you know, great job on the packing. All it was, was it's a digital separation. Just perfect. That's the only connection they had. It's like, great. And that's the only word. Not, I landed safely, I got here, you know, <laughs> nothing else, just perfect. It says so much and it does it visually. And I think that, well, I haven't been able to see it twice because I saw it in theaters as part of the shorts TV thing. I would love to rewatch this one because I think the end gut punch is something that you can rewatch the short with and get more out of, mm-hmm. I think. Because essentially the end is, sorry, spoilers for this three-minute animation. Uh, He sees his father in the casket, and all I can think is, look at all that empty space. Hence the negative space title, and their relationship with packing. And looking back at the film, um, there's a lot of physical space between the other human characters, except for the father and son. There's a lot of physical distance between everyone else. Even the funeral parlor, everyone is really far and few between, like, getting food and greeting and doing various things. Um, and the animators wanted the clothes to be more vibrant than the people. Because it's about connecting through non-interpersonal means. And so, like, there's a lot to un... <laughs> Sorry, pardon the pun. There's a lot to unpack here. I saw where you're going. I was like, oh, that's so satisfying. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and for being so short, it does pack a lot into it hey. at the same time. But I mean, but honestly, you know, pun intended, but also pun very fitting. It it does pack a lot in a small thing. And one thing that it talks about first is 
the rule of packing is lay out everything and then remove 50% of it. It's like put everything that you're going to take and then put 50% of it back <laughs> and then put all that stuff in there, which in a lot of ways, it's like just put what's necessary in here and just think about structure. So it's, it, it could be used for storytelling. It could be used for a lot of different things. It's like start with these things and how you pack things on top of it. Um, and just thinking about that ending. And I always, always after I go through them again, you know, you see it just a little bit more and have a little bit more appreciation for it. Um, it does make you laugh at the end, like so much wasted space. But it is, it's his dad's final journey, and it's just a waste at all. You would think, like, the father would be cremated or something, and, like, it's, it's the practicalness. It doesn't mean anything anymore. So. Just how he's been trained. Yep. That's a lot here. <laughs> this one has... Um, I think gained a lot of steam while it didn't get the any award for best short subject. It did. It's been winning all kinds of smaller awards. I think it has a lot of oomph going into the Oscars. Hmm. Oomph. Oomph. <laughs> Are you putting 50% of it back? Ooh. <laughs> Anything else we would like to say about negative space? Nope. I think we've, uh, Said it all. Wonderful. Let's Just like the main character and his father, they've said it all. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, uh, let's talk about Lou. <laughs> let's talk about Lou, um, which is Disney Pixar's short in this. Not the one before Coco, which is just a Disney short and is notably not nominated for the Academy Award. Yeah. And by notably, I mean, not surprisingly, but notably. Notably, right. <laughs> this one, it was directed by Dave Mullins. And the main plot of it is a sentient group of lost and found items that come together on a playground and become a sentient, one sentient being, which is one of the more original things that I've seen in a Pixar short, to be honest, that the lost and found is a character and it has baseballs for eyes and um, a sweater for arms, but like it uses all the lost items to become a Voltron of <laughs> lost and found <laughs> items. It's more interesting. Voltron of lost and found. I'm just trying to find a way to explain it because it's, it's like this, it's this creature that's built out of items that are in a lost and found crate, um, which is, it's just so well done. You don't question it. The, the way it's done, this, has a red hoodie that it interacts, you know, that 
creates eyes and it, it just, you don't question that it's this conglomeration of these items to become a single character. And it's not just how they look or the stories told, it's how they move, which I, I was doing some reading. I don't know if you've read up on like the technical background of this short. I hadn't, no. Um, so while I don't know a lot about uh, computer animation and the actual like rigs that you have to do and all that fancy fun stuff, uh, so my apologies to our listeners who might know more about this. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong and misspeak on anything. I'll file an editorial uh, review next episode. Um, they reused some of the rigs that they used in previous shorts. So uh, the sand dynamics from Piper were uh, used in the playground. And um, they used some of the rigs from Finding Dory for Hank the Octopus to do the hoodie and how the hoodie moved. Which makes perfect sense. It does make perfect sense. But there are so many moving parts because essentially these lost and found items come together to reform in different shapes each yes. time for whatever's needed. And they move in interesting ways. And Pixar's never had to do this. So it's like they're, they have the most rigs functioning at the same time with Lou as a character than anything they've ever done before. And they kept having to make new points for animation because they kept breaking physics. Like they had one eye inside the hoodie and one eye outside the hoodie. And the hoodie kept going through the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> So it is like the most articulation of anything they've ever done. And it's very technically advanced. And just watching it, you don't really appreciate like how much goes into making this. But it sounds like it was quite a lot of technical adventure to uh, make Lou happen. Yeah, you take... That's the hard part about the artistry that Pixar can bring is that there's so much that goes into it that you believe the character and you don't see any of the work because <laughs> you're just totally in it for for the five minutes and you're like oh that's that's silly ha 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 and you're just laughing the whole time but it's really striking to think about you know if you stop and think about it technologically which i hadn't um it's crazy just the one the single character i'm sure with the technical awards this is probably going to get something <laughs> i'll give it that so can we talk a little bit about story um, yeah do you want to do you want to recap for us what the story is that happens essentially we have um a school playground and this school has multiple recesses throughout its day i believe like five um <laughs> so no school just recess a lot of recess it's a very progressive school um which understands that, you know, children can only handle about 40 minutes of stuff before they need to physically express themselves and then they can go back and, um, okay. So moving on. So we have this school with a lot of recess and we have this bully character, um, JJ, who starts taking other people's things. And um, it starts off with a football. Um, you see him try to, he grabs the football and tells some guys to go along. And um, physically, there's no dialogue in this. <clears throat> but he tells them, go, go, no, that way, run that way. And he makes them run into trash cans. And then he steals their football. 
and then he steals a doll and he steals um, a knockoff Nintendo 3DS, essentially. He's just taking things from everybody. Um, While this is happening, the lost and found creature in the crate um, sees what's happening and is horrified. And so he sets it upon himself to go out and reclaim all the stolen things and fights with JJ. And in their fight back and forth, he sees um, JJ's initials on his underwear. Like you do. Like you do. That's where I keep, you know, my identification. Um, And recognizes something and he digs way down deep within himself, the creature's own self (laughs) and finds a teddy bear whose tag says JJ. Uh, The bully recognizes it as his own. And in order to reclaim that lost part of himself, the creature forces him to return all the things that were stolen and then some all the things that were lost from everybody else until there's nothing left except for the teddy bear and it's a nice build because it's not an easy solution like the creature making him give something back and the bully doesn't realize right away how good that feels or what's going on. Like he goes through like four or five iterations of giving something back before he starts to get an inkling of like, Oh, giving is good. It's not an easy fix story. Right. There is that moment where he goes, he's just going back because he has to. And then you see that he goes back because he's excited to, he's excited to give more. And then that energy changes until the last moment where he puts the bag out and doesn't get anything. And you realize the creature's gone because there's nothing left in the box. The only thing left is the the teddy bear. The creature's given himself completely away. Yeah, this very much had giving tree realness all over it. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, at its... It's core. It was. It was very sweet. It, it felt. It, it did the Pixar thing, which is uh, it gives you heart without feeling inauthentic, or, you know, fake. It. It was very honest. Um, and you had a quote here from the director. I yeah. Think. So, director David Mullins was talking about the story and like, what story he wanted to tell. Um, so he says. Bullies are usually just acting out because they're awkward or young and don't have the moral compass set. In a weird way, they sometimes feel invisible too. So hence, meeting the invisible creature. Um, If you can find out what their motivations are, maybe you can solve some things. That's what I like about Lou. True happiness comes from giving. Lou gets JJ to understand that. Mm -hmm. And Lou is the name of the creature because... The missing letters from the lost and found bin are the L from lost and the OU from found. And that's where the name Lou comes from. Spoiler, sorry. Yeah. 
But, Let's give it away in the title card. What a spoiler. I, I know. <laughs> in case you forgot, here you go again. Yeah. So. Ultimately, I think this short found a nice balance of the story and then what the character can do. I was reading some more background, and at one point it became very much focused on the story. And I guess John Lasseter went up to Dave Ball and said, like, you promised, like, this really interesting, like, creature that could transform into whatever is needed. Like, get back to that. And I think we ultimately got to eat our cake and have it, too. Mm-hmm. I, I think because... Of the silliness of that chase scene where they're going after each other and, you know, using the slinky to run and the boot and grabbing onto things and pulling, you know, that fight. It it raises the stakes a little bit more. And it just, just adds a lot of fun to it because it shows, it shows the lengths that Lou would go to help. You know, yeah, and it also goes to show that there are no Toy Story rules of don't be seen or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he tries not to, but that doesn't last long. Does not. So, anything else to say about Lou? I got nothing. All right, let's talk about some revolting rhymes. Ah, uh, this one in my heart. Ah. Uh. <laughs> I love it so much. Once upon a time. Suddenly, one awful day. Uh, so this was released by the BBC. It's produced by the UK's Magic Light Studios, which also gave us former Oscar-nominated short Room on the Broom, if you remember that one. It's a lovely short. I think lovely it's a, short. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, hey, great. Yeah, so, so if you have Amazon Prime, watch Room on the Broom. A great book. Um, this one is adapted from Roald Dahl's Revolting Rhymes. And it's animated by a South African studio, uh, Triggerfish. And it has won the, I tried to, this might not be the right name for the award, the British Academy Children's Award. So help us UK listeners. <laughs> yeah. Tell us what it is. Um, this is more an episode than a short. So it's a TV special. It's 22 minutes long and it's part one. There is a part two in the world which I will probably watch next because I like part one so much. Yeah, I really want to know what happens. I think a lot of the criticism of Revolting Rhymes is that how much it is inspired by Revolting Rhymes, but doesn't actually adapt the plot or the words. It's more like a, it adapts the spirit of Revolting Rhymes, which I have no problem with. Hmm. I think especially this year, we have Negative Space and Dear Basketball more literally adapting word for word their source material. And then you have this adaptation that plays with 
let's take this and run with it. Yeah. Can you can you tell us? Are you, did you have a lot of experience with Revolting Rhymes, the actual source material? I know that I like had it. I saw it as a kid somehow. I was aware of Revolting Rhymes, probably like in a classroom or something. Mm. Um, I never had like a spot in my heart for it necessarily. I didn't dislike it. It just wasn't like one of my like childhood things that I keep like locked up inside my clotted arteries. <laughs> and something that I never knew about, to be honest. Really? Yeah, I never knew it existed. Oh, it's out there. I mean, uh, what was it? I was reading something about Revolting Rhymes, and they did commend they kept, air quotes, the most famous line in children's literature, which was the... Her eyelid flickers, then she pulled a pistol from her knickers. <laughs> or something like that. And I guess the original rhymes are more disjointed. They're, they're just fairy tales. They're standalone fairy tales, but they're together in a book. And this short weaves them all together into one story. Which, you know, there's there are many times where... That's happened, um, but I. It was orig done originally. I, I just enjoyed moving back and forth. That the wolf was the storyteller in this darkened cafe that felt in the modern world. Um, <laughs> a wolf in a trench coat. I mean, that's just that's just <laughs> awesome. It just starts the mystery. And it's a, it starts an interesting ticking clock. It felt longer. It didn't feel like 22 minutes. Like, the story was so engaging and moved so quickly. I thought it was 10 or 15. Like, mm -hmm. it did not feel long. And it, it did, I didn't know it was the same people as Room on the Broom, but having gotten that, like, it totally makes sense. Room on the Broom... Uh, is so well done in terms of the characters and the way the characters are expressive without saying anything. And just they're um, in revolting rhymes, the characters are exaggerated yet somehow completely grounded. And I don't know if it's because they all speak, you know, with British accents or, <laughs> or if it's an animation thing, it just feels Really, really grounded and solid, especially um, Red Riding Hood and Snow White. The animation and the characterizations of them, the acting, it's all very small and subtle and tiny and built on gesture. And it's, it's just really strong in terms of what the characters do, which... Um, if you look at, I forget who it was, I, I believe it was Ian McKellen who talked about it once, um, or who was talking about the difference between American actors and British actors, and how American actors start internally. What is the character feeling, and what is the character doing, and then mentally, and then whatever happens on the external is happening because of what's happening emotionally. And the British actors will take it and go in from external. What is this character like? How does this character walk? What is this character like physically? And then what are they feeling? And how does that 
affect what they're doing. And so it's pulling those together, but starting externally. And you sort of feel that with revolting rhymes in terms of the gestures important, the movement, the way a character walks, the way the pig moves is much different from the way the wolf moves and or any of the three different wolves, they all move differently and they are all physically different. And the way that they um, go after things, it's all just rich physically. So I, that's, that's the one thing that made me start thinking about like, oh, it's, it, it feels strong in gesture and physicalization of the characters in addition to the narrative. I think there's one moment early on that kind of encapsulates a lot of this. It's when the narrator will first gets a look at the fairy tale book and he opens it up and the first one he sees is, hmm, Red Riding Hood, don't like her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like anyone seeing this film knows why that's funny. It's just like the understated way that it's said, like, hmm, don't like her. <laughs> It's so British and wonderful. Ugh. It, and it's not like a, a wisecrack, you know, it's, but it's just, there's, it's subtlety. Subtlety and I keep using this word, but authenticity and character, like it's subtlety and being truly authentic to if, if the wolf from the fairy tale saw one of those characters, what would he say? You know, and just being authentic to that and that. But, oh, that, I'll kill her. How dare, you know, it's... It, but it's like, hmm, you're so right. <laughs> that does encapsulate so much of it. Hmm. Uh, I, I am excited to see part two. Yeah, probably after this, I'm going to open up the BBC America app and see if I have access to that. <laughs> or if there's any way to watch it. So, yeah, it, yeah. it, it was good. It was very good. Cool. Um, shall we move on to the final one? Let's. Garden Party. It was done as a student film, and they've now formed into a French studio, Illogic. So maybe look for more from them. This is very photorealistic computer animation. It's so photorealistic, it throws you off a little bit. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, no. It's just like, oh, this is gorgeous. And I think it has to be gorgeous for, um, to be honest, I think the way, what they're doing... I think it has to look gorgeous for what happens at the end, which we'll talk about. But it has to be just so photorealistic for the end to have any impact as a stylistic choice. Yeah, it's... I think the whole short, it was aesthetic for me. The whole thing was aesthetic. They're... 
I think the story is the main character of the story is you as an audience member and you figuring out what is going on from the clues that they've dropped. Yes. And there are four character frogs. <laughs> let's let's stop here. <clears throat> so <laughs> we won't give away the ending yet. We will in a moment, but what are we f- tracking? What are we following through this short? Like not not the clues towards what's happened, but what's what are the little vignettes that we're getting? Well, we have uh, I think three sets of vignettes. We have one that is like a tiny tree frog and then a big toad, and the toad is following the little tree frog from like the poolside to like this disheveled bed. Um, and we have an even larger toad eating this like really lavish leftover food in the kitchen. And then we have this tiny jumpy frog that's trying to catch a butterfly. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, and a lot of this is environmental. You, you start to think when you first see it, the f- opening shot of a frog swimming, you start to think that we're at some pond. And then a little bit more is revealed that, no, it's actually a pool that in a lavish mansion with lions <clears throat> that are fountains. And, you know, it's just this massive pool and this kitchen with this caviar and food and a party and then this bedroom that is just like ornate and marble and velvet and silk sheets which you know just lavish mansion is what you get and these frogs that are in this space so it starts off thinking that it's natural but then you start to realize it's these frogs in this very man-made space man-made um i guess paradise but the pool is full of algae and (laughs) it's green and it's gross so it's very unkept and all that you hear throughout you hear a little bit of music sometimes and you hear the buzzing of flies lots of flies and bugs everywhere so for the very first moment that I think it's about a, a 30 seconds in where we get the first shot of, oh, this isn't a pond. This is a pool. And I started hearing the flies. The first thing I said is, where's the body? <laughs> yeah. And you're shown bullet holes in glass and windows throughout. And there's always like a dramatic like piano donk at the time. Like, doom. And it, to be to be honest, it does make you feel very uncomfortable the pacing of it the silence of it um you just feel really really uncomfortable it's the most uncomfortable i've felt because you just have this sense of dread throughout it just and i was just like okay where's the body you see gunshots or you know good bullet holes <laughs> in glass and in a security camera you're just like okay where's the body Where's the body? Where's the body? You see the bedroom. I'm like, oh God, where's the body? So you just start to 
think that something's going to happen. Something's going to jump out. Something's going to, you're just waiting for that moment of something to jump out. But you don't know how recent things are. Are the killers still around? Is something, how long ago did this happen? You start to think it happened a long time ago because of the mess of the pool. But you're not quite sure. Yeah. And then the big reveal is all the frogs, more frogs come to the party, to the um, pool, and the jets start up, and the fountain starts, and lights and music starts up, and fountains start going, and something gets unclogged. And from the depths of the pool rises, quite suddenly, this bloated dead body um, of the previous owner of the mansion <laughs> um, who, who was dead. Dead. So. And that's Garden Party. And that's it. That's, <laughs> that's the sum total of it. It's, it's very evocative, um, but the story is simple. It's told in these, it's essentially, as you were saying, Mackenzie, the story of one frog trying to catch a, a butterfly to eat, one toad um, fill, gorging himself on the excess leftover by um, humans, um, and then a frog and a toad finding out that they like each other in that way. Yeah, that was, I don't know. Yeah. That was <laughs> so awkward when they come out of the covers and you're just like, oh, okay. Like, is this a metaphor? Are is this they... what happened before the whole thing? What's going on? Yeah. Or is this like the source of everything that really deep down the instincts of um, having RTS, romantic time sessions, um, eating extravagantly and gorging yourself and just chasing after that one elusive thing and just keeping this frame of mind and that violence of going after that one thing is the downfall of humanity. And it's the most basic of instincts, which I don't... You're going pretty deep. Yeah. And I don't think that's what it was saying at all, but... No. That's the problem. I don't know how much it was and wasn't saying. I feel like... It it's aesthetic. It's very, very surfacey, and it's all the look. It's all aesthetic, as you said. Which, it gets a lot of points for visual, you know, it, you believe that there's, there are frogs in a pool. You really believe it. <laughs> You'll believe a frog can swim. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. So. Um, so this year, um, I don't think we saw a lot of other shorts necessarily if you see the shorts tv presentation there's a couple honorable mentions that are shown with it um a french one called achu i thought was cute and there was another one whose name i forget that's australian department of lost property oh yes like that. yes that was yeah. that was pretty good that was pretty good um there's also the notorious olaf's frozen christmas this year olaf's frozen adventure Olaf's Frozen Adventure. My bad. Can't put Christmas in the name. <laughs> it gives away the plot. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
And also, I think missing from the list is World of Tomorrow 2, the sequel to Dan Hertzfeld's World of Tomorrow from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if we just will see this in a future animated shorts Oscar category, because a number of the ones this year were, I think, originally like shown in 2016, but mm-hmm. were like theatrically released in 2017. So maybe World of Tomorrow 2 will be on next year's Oscars list. Hmm. I hear it's really good. Can't wait. Yeah, I did enjoy the first one. So mm-hmm. now, after all of those things, we have to we have to see if we can pick a winner. I know we've agreed the last two years. I don't know if we agree this year. <laughs> I I think we disagree this year. What do you think is uh, the front runner and why? I feel like, based purely on nostalgia, I feel like Dear Basketball is going to win. I, I feel like, and it's it's solely based on the hand-drawn nature of it, the fact that it's Glenn Keane and John Williams. I think um, it's, it's sweet. It's pretty. Um, I think it's going to, I think it's going to win for those reasons. That's not the one I'm rooting for, but I think it, it. So are you rooting for? Lou? I am rooting for Lou. I'm rooting for Lou. I'd be happy if Revolting Rhymes won. Um, I think I'm rooting for Lou, though. And for me, the, the Dear Basketball feels a little bit like, hey, let's try to make an Academy Award-winning short. Like, the one thing they didn't do is have Tom Hanks voice Kobe Bryant. <laughs> like, like, if they had done that, then I'd be like, you guys just want the Oscar. No, but, Helen Mirren. <laughs> Dear basketball. Um, Dear basketball. So, <laughs> um, I, I feel like I would love Lou to win. Um, revolting Rhymes, I think it would be great if it won. I wouldn't feel bad about it. Um, I don't feel like Garden Party will because as beauty, as as pretty as it was, I don't think there's much there beyond that. There's mu- not much beneath the surface, so to speak. Uh, well done. Thank you. Um, negative Space, I think, was... That's where I go back and forth. Like... Negative Space, Lou, and Revolting Rhymes, I think, are deserving in different ways. I, I think, for me personally, I'm rooting for Lou, and Negative Space is a very close second. I think and am rooting for Negative Space. Hmm. I think it has some momentum to pull it off. Um, I think that it has... Um, I think it has everything going for it for an Oscar-nominated animated short. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it is my personal favorite as well. So I am I feel good about the choice. I won't be surprised if Dear Basketball wins. Um, but Negative Space, I think, fits... Checks on my boxes for both, both categories. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... 
My pick for the win is Dear Basketball, but I'm secretly rooting for Lou. And you think Negative Space will win, and also that's the one you're rooting for. Yeah. Okay. So um, we'll see what happens when the Oscars air and um, see if we have aired. <laughs> but a different kind of airing. <laughs> Verbal board play. Oh, how strange. That never happens on this show. <laughs> oh my, how decadent. So even though we've talked about the shorts themselves and our personal favorites, do you have a favorite thing from any of them? I think my favorite thing has to do with... Um, it was the thing that was the most surprising for me, which was from Negative Space, which was just the animation of the clothes. Just, it's just in general, the way the clothes moved and it, it was just different and the way that they crawled in, I just, it just felt really nice. I don't, I don't know. It's just the clothes, the way the clothes moved in negative space. For me, that was the, my favorite thing. Hmm. Okay. I think my favorite thing was actually from Deer Basketball. Um, and it's the crossfade. There's like a slow motion basketball going through the hoop and net and the net slowly like bouncing upward in reaction to the ball going through it. And that cross fades into like young Kobe, like pumping his hands up in the air in victory. Mm. Um, it was such a nice effect. And it like makes uh, an anti-sports ball person like myself just be like, basketball, yeah, look at that. Um, so I thought that was a very nice moment. Awesome. Well, should we talk about next time? Yeah. For your homework, check out the film Early Man, because that's what we'll talk about. Yeah. So it, it's probably for next year's Oscars. <laughs> um, also, as a little bit of extra business, I think it must be mentioned, Mackenzie. Before our next episode, Star Wars Rebels will have its series finale. And we've had like three Star Wars Rebels episodes of Writers Good Animated, so you know we're fans. Um, there'll probably be a fourth episode in the future. What? Episode four? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the weirdest thing I've heard about Star Wars. <laughs> it's not a trilogy here at Writers Good Animated. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Ah. So as always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can find us on Facebook and like us there. You can interact with us on Twitter, at WG Animated. And we will have links to the shows. What was I going to say? Some of the animated shorts that you could see on our Tumblr, writersgetanimated.tumblr.com, and lots of links to other articles and fun things that we've talked about in this episode. Show us what you got, Academy. <laughs> wow. Rick and Morty. No, I was going for um I was going for Troy McClure. Show us what you got, TV. Oh. Okay. I was going Simpsons, would, which makes I more sense. Rick and Morty. Oh. Okay. That does make more sense. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>